Welcome to the DevReady Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Uh, today, we're joined by Judy Salmons from Thrivable Biz. Now, you may remember her from episode one of the DevReady Podcast way back, where we discussed um, about uh, product development uh, in episode one and what that all looked like. And that was under the umbrella of Engage for Insights from way back then. But um, Judy's welcomed back to the, the group to, to talking about her latest book, uh, which is marketing equals customers plus heart. And we'll dig in a little bit of some of the tools and techniques that we can help everyone think about marketing potentially in a different way, and then how you might understand the size of your market and the potential opportunity you're diving into. Judy, thank you for joining us once again. Oh, Andrew, Anthony, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to have you back. <laughs> it's been a, f a few years, but um, really good to see you. Time's flown. Um, I think 2019 we recorded our last podcast. So 2019, that is totally a different world yeah. ago, literally. It was. A little didn't know what was coming. We were... <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> So, Judy, just for everybody that's listening in, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, Thrival Biz, and um, what you stand for. Yeah, thank, thank you. Um, you know, I I have been <laughs> running small businesses, and I've delved into all sorts of different types of industry, from retail to tech, as you know, in episode one, and uh, and I've also been mentoring. I actually have lost count over both sides of the Tasman, New Zealand and Australia for the last 30 odd years. And I think what I, what's driven this book now is our work with our existing clients, both in media and entertainment and, and uh, through all different types of sectors across different industries. And so my experience of working with them and my own frustrations of trying to market, you know, a product and realizing that I really wasn't coming at it from the right direction. So that's what I've been doing for, you know, some time. And it, it actually came out, started because somebody had asked me, what is it you guys, what do you do? You know, you got this vague sort of look on people's face and it's always quite hard to explain when you do stuff quite intuitively. And so we, we started just documenting what we did, almost a bit like a manifesto. So what is it that we do? What are the elements that come into play? And, and the outcome is, yes, as you nicely welcomed me, marketing equals customers plus heart, which, by the way, the title came to me in a, in a meditation. So it was like, you know, I always try and free the mind when you're trying to create something. And I just went and had a little rest and meditated. And, and I came back to Eric's, my partner, and said, I've got a plus and an equal sign flashing in my head. What does that mean? And then ultimately that's, we've decided to make an equation of it. So that's the story. Amazing uh, what comes out of when you're not in, in the thinking mind. So yeah. yes, meditation, quite powerful um, technique that people can evolve into, but we won't go there today. But in terms of marketing, um, obviously been in the space for quite a while. What does it actually stand for? What does it mean to you? Because one thing you mentioned off, off, uh, recording was um, a lot of people come to you and they say, we've got a product, we built this, let's go sell it, let's go market and tell people all about it and let's just effectively advertise, um, which is what I'm imagining. And that's what people perceive marketing to be or how do we package this up um, and then give it to a sales team to sell out or whatever it might look like. But you mentioned something that marketing can come into every facet of even product development, ideation. What does the marketing really mean to you? Andrew, I think that's where the, the starting point is. That you're right because if you start 
most people are passionate about something. They, they have a passion and they think, oh, that'll be a really good, like, particularly at the moment when all these people are going, I just want to work for myself now. I don't want to be working in corporate. So there's such this big drive to be self-employed at the moment. And maybe they've been dreaming up a tech idea that's been churning around in their head. But what, where is the reasoning for that idea? So has it come from, and sometimes it can come from your own need, which is mm. fine, and that's where ours came from, but there wasn't a strong enough market need. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. And, that, and that, that is ultimately the big problem. So if we are coming at our business from, oh, I've got this great idea. Me and the mates were at the pub and we were sitting behind the coaster and we've written down these notes. We're going to do this big tech thing, right? We're going to go out and create this thing. It's going to be the next big Uber, right? So they go and create it. They become fixated and so passionate, and that's good, but it's also negative. So what happens to those people, in my experience, is that you try and talk to them about the challenges of, of getting that you almost have to get out of that passion. Don't lose it, but you have to step outside of that passion and get to understand the real customer need for it and how many customers are going to want to buy it. I mean, in the end, that that's what we're in business for is to create a customer and, and you can't create a customer unless you do marketing. And I think that ultimately is where we get a little unstuck. It's not about how wonderful your widget is. Yeah? It's about how good your messaging is and how it resonates with that audience, how it connects with them. Because we are living in a world now that even in a post-COVID world, in a COVID world, we're going to be living with COVID for a while, but before COVID, we always knew we had to be connected. Now it's even 10 times worse. We have to connect with people who are impacted by so much stuff. They're spending a lot more time in many cases on social. You know, I, a lot of the young people I'm working with, like are just completely, they're, they're spending all day on social. That's their whole, that's their business. That's their, everything they run is, is on these mechanisms. So but we also want to be entertained. We need to be engaged, but you've got to be able to relate. If you can't get to that audience and really motivate them, then, then you don't have a business. So, and connecting with that person is a marketing function, but everything is, so the book is all about, we start with seven stages. The first stage is understanding that everything you do in business is marketing. And I mean, absolutely everything. So if you're doing an operations strat, you know, your plan, your systems, all of that, you don't need any of that if you don't understand your customers. So ultimately, I know how many staff you need, but all that sort of thing, yes, is there'll be arguments to that's operations, that's got nothing to do with customers. My argument is it does have everything to do with customers because if you don't have, depending on how many customers you have, the idea of an operations is to make life better for you in order for you to deliver better product. Mm -hmm. And that is a marketing function. So, you know, I, I would really literally argue that absolutely everything you do is, is marketing. When I'm doing financial forecasting with, with my clients, um, how can I possibly do that without understanding my marketing? 
And even my marketing strategy, I need to know where is my audience? Who is my audience? Where are they? How am I going to communicate with them? Then you do your financial planning. I was talking to a guy who was a CFO for hire um, a couple of months back. And I, you know, I was curious to what were the obstacles he would face when, when going into work with a small business. And he said, he'll, uh, first thing he'll say is, where do you want to be next year? What's your potential growth? And they'll all go, they'll tack on, you know, 10%, 5% increase, right, in sales. And he says, how are you going to get there? And they'll, they'll turn around and go, oh, well, well, we'll just have an increase in natural sales. I'll just get the salespeople working harder. We'll put the prices up. Dumb. <laughs> and But this is happening. This is actually really happening. And worse than that, most businesses don't have a plan at all on how to get there. So it's the bottom line is that I feel that if a startup embraced the full understanding of marketing from day one, if you understood where it fits in and that you can't actually have a, a forecast of where you want to be in the future without a solid understanding of what marketing is at the first instance, then how can you grow? How can you get there? You don't understand. You won't that. have the customer base. So, um, have the income yeah. of anyone approaching you exactly exactly anthony so i um i did an exercise recently with someone completely out of the tech industry right so he he had a startup idea and um so um i've got so many examples i'll pull on actually another one i'll pull on because i was thinking it might be relevant as a young girl who came to me and she had this great idea for the you know product. Okay, we'll get past that. So who's your target audience? And she said, had a very, very narrow target. Nothing wrong with niching. Have no issue with that if that's where your starting place is. However, when we analysed the niche that she wanted, I said there are 821 people in New Zealand that would potentially want to buy your product. So for you to actually have any chance of breaking even, you have to sell to every single one of those people and probably at least two of them a year, twice a year. Not realistic. And she went, oh, that's not going to happen. I said, no, it's clearly not. So that's what we do with the calculator. And so what I've done is I've blended our basic Sam Tam Soms, which I think most um, tech startups would know. So that's a total addressable audience, the yep, serviceable addressable audience and the serviceable attainable audience. But I've blended that also with um, um, factoring in risk management, competitor analysis, com number of competitors in that space. Uh, and, and then we've also built in life cycles. So the calculator I developed literally runs people through all these different factors and then it just drills down. So you start with your TAM and you go, okay, but what what is it realistically that you can get to? And then, you, you as I said, you've got to factor in a risk factor that you know you're young and startups you know you're just fresh you don't all those sorts of things um, and really reviewing competitors because I have every single startup I've ever spoken to and I'll say to them so who are your competitors don't have any no doesn't don't exist oh, no, so no, you answer no, get yeah. answer we get <laughs> no it, yeah we get it all the time oh my it's god it's so frustrating yeah. and i yeah. i said to one girl so it's also you don't have a business because if you haven't got a competitor then clearly there's no market and she went oh okay that's a, that's then a she backtracked because i was you know she, yes yeah. <laughs> and uh and so i said 
you know, in, in what she was doing, she had squillions of competitors. If there is a need in your market today, that need is being met somehow. Yes. And that is the other place that brings up a curly because, you know, even with my own tech startup, I had a need in the marketplace. I identified who the key competitor was. I knew I could deliver a solve a lot of the problems for the customer, the end user. But in the end, habitual practice comes into play. So, you know, one of the guys that we thought, big client that we thought we could pull over, turned around and said, um, we're paying four times as much with, our, with your competitor and it, it's got more bells and whistles, but we don't use them anyway. And you've solved all the problems we have with it, but we like them and we've been using them for a decade. Yeah, changing technology is not that easy, especially yeah, when you once it's embedded exactly. and yeah, the cost yeah. of change is something yeah. you have to factor in. Just going to be the change impact the number of people. It is yeah. a challenge. And, so B two B sales, yes, is slow grinding, and you have to be there for the long yards to actually convert. Mm. Absolutely, and you need the fine, you need the backing to be able to get yeah. you through that stage. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. that's the part I think is really hard. Is going okay? So you know, like when I was talking to you know, tech funds and stuff. They wanted runs on the board in weeks. And I went, holy, this is just, you know, it's not remotely feasible to have runs on the board in weeks when you're talking to that level of of, of clients. So you've, so bottom line is that we, you know, and I don't let the calculator out of my hands. I let, I work people through it because it is a process and it's a learning, but that's just one aspect of it. But it's, um, you know, it's, Understanding that is is definitely part of the seven stages. If you that's the first part, and and then we go on from there in a mind mash of different of interesting algorithms of our, what came out of our head. <laughs> okay, Judy, plenty to unpack there. Um, thank you. <laughs> so there's a lot in that. Um, let's take a few steps back at a couple of notes that uh, I wanted to explore and dive into. You mentioned that um, one thing around when we go into business we're looking to create a customer what do you mean by that like drive a need find a need understand a need deliver an outcome to solve the need what do you mean by creating a customer you your sole role in business is to identify who your audience is to make them your customer that's your sole reason for existing the the rest of it is an outcome of having however many customers you have, your success, your bankroll, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? So it, so the, the challenge really, I think, is, um, and I love the, the, you know, Clayton Christensen made quite famous, I know you'll know this, but, you know, the, the quarter-inch drill story, the, job, the jobs to be done theory. Um, it's, and for those of the listeners that don't understand it, every customer is hiring your product to provide a service for them of some description. So they don't, you know, they're not, we're not talking about them um, just going, oh, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to go and try that out. There is a percentage, of course, the early adopters, and that's what we all rely on to get our traction. Let's get started, but, yes. <laughs> but, but ultimately, you must satisfy that need and you need to identify that need. And that is actually not that easy to do. And I think that's where, you know, like 
Yes, I, I have a market research background and because I've always blended that with the marketing. And if, But if I started this podcast with I'm going to talk about market research, <laughs> you would have, all your listeners would have switched off by now and we would be sitting here having a very boring conversation. The point is, though, that what people underestimate is the value of market research. But not only that's how you ask your market research. I think that's important, yeah, the how, not the, yeah, because you can ask them in a way to get the answers you want or expect. Exactly, but, yeah. exactly, Andrew. Mm. If you ask somebody, um, would you use this in the future? And that is the number one question that every single startup asks. Not a great question. <laughs> um, yes. If you do that, your family and friends in 90% of the cases, because that's who you usually go to when you start up, you own hassles because you don't want to pay, you can't afford to pay for a big panel of people. 99% of those people are going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it looks really good. Then you're going to have the black hatters who are going to turn around and go, oh, 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 that might be risky. Oh, I'm not sure if I'd do that. So you've got one or the other. It's like this, and, and so you don't get actually anything out of that. What you have to find out and this is, this is a really big takeaway for everybody listening. If you want, you need to find out what it is they are missing from their current providers. It's not about whether you will use something. They have no idea. That's your role is to find something that they will use. So you, you, not, you need to find, and look, the, the greater, you know, the global example in, in the tech industry is Uber, right? So if Uber sat down and said to you, would you get into a car driven by a stranger? None of us would have got in that car. Not one person would have got into and bought an Uber membership, right? Nobody. However, if they took, they obviously, I, I don't know what that market research they did, but by understanding what the problem was with the current provider, which is, you know, dirty cabs, cabs, they're expensive, they're, you know, the list went on. You can then build a product that satisfies the real need and, and solves the problems. I think um, one of the interesting takes on the Uber, and yes, probably no one would have said yes to using that service before they actually saw the outcomes of it. Um, that is a bit of belief that you're going to really solve. Understanding, actually, that's really understanding the problems and understanding the needs to solve those problems and a desire to solve those problems too. Um, I think that's the angle there because sometimes a customer may not know what a solution looks like, but they really may know their their frustration in an area. And if the scale of one to 10, if it's eight or a nine, there's probably an area worth exploring. Um, that's how I sort of frame that and think about yeah. that because... Yeah, not everyone knows what they might need, um, but Correct. they may know what they're frustrated about, what they don't like. That's pretty Correct. easy place to start, yeah. Yeah, mm. abso absolutely. Uh -huh. So that's where you, when and you're talking to people, and you know one of the best forms of market research for a startup is just have conversations. But don't take the conversation from, oh, I've got this great idea and, and would you buy into it? You know, just have a conversation about, what their experiences are like with buying or using whatever service it is you intend to compete compete against and find out their frustrations and then solve that but problem is it more you need to focus on the outcome rather than the solution so you're not focusing on the solution that delivers the outcome it's what the so outcome the value is adding. so in the case of uber and yes. airbnb 
being able to book a taxi or a room is the solution, but the outcome is being able yes. to earn more money. That's the actual end outcome who they were targeting. You can earn more money by yeah. offering these services, not I can yes, book at any time. Exactly. Yeah. But that but that's the that's the biggest problem though. Most startups make though in the market research. They're just not asking the right way. And they're and you know, like I had another conversation with a guy who started sharing me with me his idea. And I actually got excited because I thought, oh, I would use that. And I shared how I would use it as an end consumer. And he interrupted me, he said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't go. No, we wouldn't do that. It'll be like this. And I thought, oh, you've just missed the best opportunity I could have given you. And that was if you just listened and found out why I wanted to do that. Firstly, you could have changed your whole marketing and you would have been, you, you know, so he literally narrowed his market by not listening to me. So I think the other thing that we get passionate about when we're a startup is that we are, again, why I said early in the piece is that you've got to put your passion aside for a bit. Just have it, but just bottle it up for a little bit and put it over here in the corner because you've really got to be, and listening isn't necessarily the same thing as passion. So we, we get a bit, you know, we just, we want to share, no, 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 it's going to be like, this is going to be great. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. No, that's not what my need is. And I think, and um, I, this yeah. what what sort of came to mind then when you said that was, yeah, we can be passionate, but I think the passion may be in the wrong area. There might be in the fear of the solution, rather than the passion in the area. Of how do we help the person on the other end and understand the person on the other end and their challenges and problems? Because if you go in with an inquisitive mind, I find that that's a best place to frame a conversation from. Like you said, understanding where they're at why they're sort of coming from that perspective um yeah i think that's my sort of takeaway from the way you frame that really yeah well done um, andrew that's it's, it's not yeah. but you know yes mm -hmm. because and and that but if there's a lesson to be learned from all of this because if if again if if your role in business is to create a customer how are you going to do that if you don't understand them and listen to them and and actually don't then become arrogant and go, yeah, they said that, but I know better. You've actually got to act on it. And and it's more than one person, of course, but you've got to build those insights and then you, you might do other research, whatever. But first you've got to listen. You've got to ask the right questions. Uh, and that's another stage that we run through in the book because it's um, questions have been, you know, ultimately we have actually stopped asking the right questions. We've, we've changed the way we question. And that's actually, unfortunately, largely due to our, even our education system. So we, we go to schools now and, you know, I mean, I don't think school, unfortunately, has changed much since I was there. But it was like you sit in neat, nice little rows and the teacher tells you what you're going to learn. They read from a textbook. And if you, you know, if you, you, you're embarrassed because you'll either, if you ask a stupid question, your peers, your schoolmates are going to give you hell and you're going to get bullied in, in recess or your teacher's going to, you know, make you look, feel a bit idiot. So unfortunately, we're almost trained not to ask questions anymore. And it's the curious, inquisitive, mm. as you said, Andrew, um, questioning. So I, one of the, I uh, can't remember his name now, but there's a guy that I read about, um, innovation and and how he overcome how he helps companies go in, in innovation basically he acts like a child 
and walks through and says, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And, and you've just got to accept that that is the only way you can keep ahead. You have to ask the naive questions constantly and be listening for the responses. You know, there's a reason why existing businesses often get in a bit of a rut is that they forget to ask. They don't want to. They get into these habits and they just go, that's the way it's always been done. It's working. Business is pretty good, you know, and, and then all of a sudden the competitor comes, bang, they're in trouble because the competitor asked mm. and listened. It sort of comes down to a cultural thing, though, for that, the business culture and then, like, the actual culture of the country. But in, like, an established organisation, that's the way it's been done because the structures are in place and there's, like, a power difference between your manager and yourself and those people keep getting hired which are not sort of the creative and inquisitive ones so that skills are not brought into the organization because that's not the people they need yeah yeah and and but you're right it's a cultural thing so the companies you know like google and and adobe there i mean there are bucket loads of really good tech examples in particular um, that have that culture of innovation and allowing people to question, giving them the platform. I mean, the Adobe Kickbox scheme was it's been out for quite some years now. I'm sure you guys know about it, but it's it's you know helped many other companies understand how to manage the process of innovation and questioning and allowing people. To, you know, one of the best things you can do as a manager is allow your team space to create, to think, you know, if they need to go out for a walk, let them go, you know, because that'll solve more problems than sitting there arguing with a, you know, screen. It's, it's, it's allowing that and bringing that in as a, as a culture. And I also believe that is very much part of the startup culture. You start like that. I mean, um, Eric Wong from, from Zoom, he, his whole focus when he started the business, and it was actually one of my podcast guests, um, Hilde Gottlieb, who consulted with him at the time, and she runs an organisation called Creating the Future, and it's all about questioning, and I've learnt so much from Hilde. But um, his main focus was how can I keep people, I want to make sure my culture remains as we grow. Mm, it's an interesting he's... question, yes. Yeah. yeah. It is a challenging question. Dr. Yeah. Biggie, you get the more general operational focus comes in and then... Uh, as you get operational focus, you're looking at the efficiency and then the, the focus of the business can change as you grow. So how do you balance The people it? that deliver on those operational things are generally not the creative types. No, process but you driven. just can't, you got to, it's finding the balance of the organization and how you do that. Um, um, yeah, finding it internally in our business, all right, we're in a startup mentality, but we're growing. We've got like 40 people across um, yeah, on sure mix and then how do you find the operational balance with just keeping innovation in the business and one of our answers is oh, let's start a little R&D component of the business and try and find a way to keep that moving because your shift and focus changes a little bit so it's interesting but there's no right or wrong answer there it's just being no, to explore I think exactly I think yeah. that's exactly the point is having an open mm -hmm. mind to explore and mm -hmm. to realize that they are the challenges you're going to face but Obviously, Zoom's been pretty successful for several years in a row. They keep being the, named the happiest company to work for. And, and uh, so that started from the day one, and that is embedded in his culture. And I think that is the key, is that if you have a culture and you, you have the opportunity as a startup or whatever you're developing, 
because um, even if this is a new product on an existing business, it still has the same psychology. And you know, so it's um, I think you have that ability to be able to embed. And this is, I guess, the purpose behind the book is that you know I want people to understand that marketing is across everything, and if you understand it, ultimately your true purpose for business is to have a customer. If you come at it from that perspective, everything is a bit easier. Your pillars are designed specifically around those marketing identifications, and then it's easier to make decisions. You know, um, working with a, a client at the moment who's who's came to us when he was in a mess, so he's grown, but he didn't have that solid pillar in his marketing and understanding with his customers. So it's a bit of backtracking, which tends to be a lot of what we end up doing. Um, but you've got to get back to the core reason of why people want you and, and then you blend it. And so much of it comes in from questioning, from creativity. And, and, and again, that's what we do in the book. So we bring in all these different elements of you know, gathering the insights of building relationships, of creativity and how to be creative in a team and, and using the insights to drive it. So, you know, um, one of our big things is that often so many people will tell you creativity is, I'm, I'm not creative, right? Well, firstly, that's obviously BS. And uh, uh, one of the things we do in, in our book is that so each stage actually has a QR code and we've got bonus content online. And last, yes, last week I recorded a fabulous interview with um, a good mate of ours, Wade Kingsley, who runs the ideas business in, in Melbourne. And uh, it's a great creative session on some key things you can take home from that. But the idea from our perspective is always to focus that creativity. So if you're focusing it on the customer need, on the real purpose of what you're doing, what the customer is going to use this to satisfy, what need does it satisfy, then the creativity is actually really easy. It does start to roll, it, but it is a process. It's like anything. Um, it's, <laughs> it takes me back. What to my wife? What are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, there's plenty of options, but what are you? Yeah, so it's so that thing. What are, it's a, it's focusing on a solving a problem. It's a focus point. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, having an angle and a focus is always important for anything. So if you're going to strategize, <laughs> what yeah. are we trying to focus on? Yeah, so come into a room and say, let's innovate. Okay, awesome. What the hell does that mean? Uh, let's at least put a box around it so people can think in it, um, and then obviously bring their other thoughts to it. And just yeah, up. but yeah, you need a box otherwise it's well uh, you know challenging. if, you go, if yeah. you go into the room yeah. and say yeah. we're looking for ideas for start our new business you know yeah. i want some ideas come on people show me yeah. you know here's the problem yeah. okay this and is your brain's going like this okay we had a good example of that we used to do that with hackathons in our business years ago everyone just come up with an idea you want to build and we'll do that on a friday that was very, very ugly. Um, <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah. So people didn't know what to do, where to start. But then you think about it, okay, let's solve this problem we have in this operational area where we're having a, I don't know, a backlog of these issues. That gives people a focus point. That gives people a place to start innovating and bringing ideas to it. So I think we can sometimes oversell what innovation is. I think it's a part of... Uh, it's just looking at processes, how you're operating process improvement, and then people always talk about um, 
how are we um, disrupting? But I think that's a big step, that leap disruption. I think the incremental innovation is still valuable to it. Absolutely. I'm 100% with you. I um, the, the I word is pretty bloody scary to most. And it... Um, and it actually is wrong. So the key with innovation is incremental change, I believe, for a start. And that's much easier to manage in a business anyway. Um, but even if you're a new startup and you, you come up with some what you think is disruptive, that the challenge with disruption, though, is that it's got to have a percentage of the familiar. Because if it's not familiar, people won't go for it. Yeah, mm. so it's a blend. So that's why the best innovation comes from combining something that, you know, I mean, Dollar Shave Club is the quick, easy example of this, right? So he's got an issue that he wants to buy a razor and I'm just going to blend it with a subscription model. Yeah, we know what a subscription model is now. No one was doing that at the time, but they were too easy to fit. They blended together and there's your innovation. And it was innovative. Yeah, I was on a... Um... A strategy sort of workshop this morning um, and take me back to innovation and what they what something that came up is look at other industries and just start taking things and ideas from other industries because maybe they're doing something differently I pointed to the point of um, where Henry Ford got his idea for the production line it was out of an actual abattoir so how they had a production of um, producing meat and that's how he started thinking they started engineering what an, exactly. a production I look like so the idea came from somewhere it didn't just sporadically come up or spontaneously appear. So it's yeah. a good frame. Yeah. It, there is no new idea. There is nothing brand new. It's all been done before to a degree. Your job in in making it different. Everything's a remix. It's, it's a remix. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, And that's the key to unscaring innovation, I reckon. And, um, you know, and if you're an existing business, it's, Constant change. Don't, you know, if you're scared of change, then you're in, you, you shouldn't be self-employed. You need to go and get it. It's always know. changing if you haven't yeah. seen what COVID's done to us. Um, yeah. You know, it's just a massive change, but you know, it's always evolving. But also your, your customers are constantly evolving. Mm. And, and, you know, if you don't keep up with what they need, if you're not understanding exactly how they're evolving, you know, I mean, I think there's some interesting future trends with, okay, so what, what's going on at the moment? We've got massive world events going to hit us. Even though we're in COVID, we're going to go through some massive world events. We've got a very short, you know, very large possibility of a World War Three, pretty damn soon. Um, we have quite major global climate change issues that are going to keep affecting us now for pretty much the rest of our lives. And so that's going to constantly challenge us. So we've got food shortages, cost of living increases. We have got a pretty, I hope to be, I'm not doom and gloom here, but this is going to be, I think, a very tough decade next uh, period. My, my take on that is the opportunity and the innovation Correct. comes from challenges, right? So Correct. I think those food challenges and there's already things that are starting to occur which force enterprise and corporates to actually do something differently. Uh, I was reading um, that they've got basically 60 more seasons of, of actual um, harvesting and then our soils are basically stuffed. So the whole infrastructure and mechanism of farming has to change back to what it used to be to start producing good soils, etc. And these corporates are 
moving there slowly, but they're realising that if they don't do that, there's no enterprise, there's nothing. So this change will, obviously innovation will come and it will solve it. Not Absolutely. solve itself, people have to solve the problems, but the problems, the answers will come. Um, but it's an opportunity for everyone when there's big changes. I, I am, but you can't find the opportunity unless you know what the potential problems are. So you have to understand those and, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they just looked at me vaguely and I said, well, how can you invent, how can you come up with a twist to what you're doing if you don't understand what the potential issues are going to be for your customers? So that's, that's really, you know, where to me understanding the challenges are critically important for making incremental change in your business. In whatever you do. So, no, Andrew, we will have, there are going to be, hey, look, there are those that my parents' generation, you know, those who have, you know, recently, and, you know, in the 80s, 90s, 80 years ago, World War II ended. We all thought it was the end of the world then. But we bounced back, and what happened? We ended up with different foods. We, as you, you know, talking about earlier, our technology grew, we had baby, all sorts of stuff has grown from in the last 80 years. But we've actually been living in a pretty protected shell for the last 80 years. So it's, it's now time to go. It's not about being scary. It's being a bit about being informed. And when you know that and you, you see the opportunities then and you, you see them for what they are and you go, okay, so my challenge is in my industry, uh, if I'm in food supplies, that this is what I'm going to be dealing with. My customers still have a need. How can we sit down and create a solution to this need? Who could we work with? What, how can we present our product? You know, I'm working, it's lovely to be working with the, the young girls that I'm working with and I've got three of them. And they're all into the eco scene at the moment and the sustainability. It's really exciting that they're doing that and looking for partners in, in India and stuff like that who are doing some innovation there because, you know, they, they understand this probably even better than we do often because we're privileged with our plastic. So it's, you know, it's, um, there are so many opportunities, but only if you know what the problems are. You know. oh, yes, they're not clearly you need to be aware of the problems and understanding what's happening around you. Yeah. Otherwise, what are you solving? Um, you should make if you are trying to produce a product without no understanding of problem or yeah. challenges to the masses, then you're not hiding to nothing. <laughs> not going to have a product. Yes, yes. So that is always. I think today's always been a great sort of conversation around some things to think about with marketing and how it sort of stems through the business. But then how you think about your customer, how do you question your customer, how do you even question yourself? Because I feel like um, questioning yourself, even for some things we touched upon were um, understanding market trends, where things are moving, directions. Because where you are today is not where we're going to be in two years' time. So what's going to change and how do you be a part of the change or how do you drive the change are some of the things for people to think about. So, gee, thanks again. <laughs> for popping on the okay. Ready podcast. It's always a pleasure. Um, episode one to uh, this will be quite up there in terms of our number of episodes. So close to the 100 mark. Maybe we should release this on episode 100. Why not? <laughs> Might be funny. But yeah, give you a bit of context. That's where we're sort of yeah. at. So really, yeah. um, thank you for coming. We'll share Absolute out a bit the book. And I noticed that 100% of you. the profits have been donated to the Ukraine family. So really good initiative. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, um, yes. it's a bit of a passionate subject mm. for us. We have a Latvian family. So it's um you know we, we understand what it's like to be a neighbor of russia 
Um, so that's that's been a big thing for us. And um, and actually, the graphic artist that has done all the work in the book, uh, inside the book, he's he's in Ukraine. So okay. yeah, it, it's yeah. been really interesting um, following his journey and and you know as he tries to evacuate his family and all this sort of stuff. It's insane, actually. So, oh, I've, I've yeah. had um, yeah. development Maybe groups and start-up, a startup group we were working with who's got a development team in Ukraine. During the day, they've actually got a gun in their hand and at night they're still working. It's developing. Oh, no. it's, 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 it's actually... Yeah, it's horrendous what's yeah. happening. And, and yeah. um, uh, yeah. my graphic artist is... He's obviously... He's very active in his local church as well. So, um, and... Uh, but... Yes, it, so they're bringing in families from real, real difficult situations, and yes, they're given they're given guns and bulletproof vests now. You know, when I was trying to find a charity to actually support, it was quite difficult because I didn't want to buy war material. So, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the charities are set up now to buy bulletproof vests for people. Um, but um, we're, we're supporting a um, New Zealand-based charity, which I'm so excited about because they they are run by volunteers. So 93% of the money goes directly to buying food and shelter. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty pleased about that. Oh, really good initiative. We'll share details out for the book, thank Marketing you. Equals Customers Plus Heart. Judy Summers, thank you once again. Um, and we'll hear from you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Deputy thank Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.